All right, well, that should get us pumped up and, and ready to hear God's word as we saw the light. And I want us to remember, some of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, we forget about how Jesus radically changed our life. And don't let us forget that. Remember the psalm says, we enter uh, the thanksgiving, enter the gates of thanksgiving in our hearts. Well, that should be every day because Jesus changed our life. Don't grow custom or used to Jesus dying for your sins. Let us be in all of that every single day that Jesus changed my life. I was helpless, but Jesus changed my life. That is good news. Thank you, Stephen, for leading us in that. Thank you for musicians leading us in our time of worship through singing. And now as we go into God's Word, uh, you know, there are many things in life um, that you look around the world and, and they just strike you with awe. I mean, you look around the different mountains or the ocean, the, the changing of the seasons, uh, going to an aquarium. If you've ever been to an aquarium and see there's a whole other world of, of crazy animals that are below the ocean, and you see this and you go, well, this was all created by our amazing God. And it shows us how, how powerful he is, it shows us how creative he is, it shows us how wonderful he is, and it's just incredible and amazing to see. Uh, but being a dad, you know, one of the things that's most amazing to me is the selective hearing of children. And I don't know if God created that or if that was part of the fall, I'm not sure, but there is selective hearing because Collins, uh, she can remember almost everything. And I'll be driving the van and she'll be like, hey dad, do you remember that time when I was like two and a half and you ate peas for dinner and you dropped one and made a joke? I mean, something like that. And I'm like, honey, I, I don't remember. And she was like, well, I do. And I'm thinking, where did that even come from? You know, I have no idea. So she has this incredible memory. But then you say things like this, Collins, I need you to get your shoes on and then you look a little bit later, and I said, Collins, why aren't your shoes on? She goes, oh, I forgot. And I'm like, you can remember what I ate for dinner when you were two and a half, but you don't remember to put your shoes on, something that we should always do before we leave the room. When I think about Carter, one thing Carter loves is she loves to watch shows. She loves watching shows, either on the television or she likes watching a show or playing a game on our phones. And so I've imagined, there's been a few times in my life where I've, I've imagined with the girls, okay, we're going to have this really heartfelt moment. And in your mind, you kind of imagine sitting around, maybe drinking hot cocoa and having this great family moment. And you picture it in your mind of what it's going to look like. And you have this kind of serious conversation, and you just kind of look at your children and you say, so what do you think? And Carter in those times will kind of look at us and say, hey mom, can I play a, a game on your phone? And we're just like, did you just miss everything we were talking about? Whitney so, showed me a meme on Facebook this week, which is like totally Carter. It said, when I passed away and I'm, my, and I'm in my casket, my child's going to lean into the casket and say, hey, mom, can I play a game on your phone? And I said, that's Carter. That is totally Carter. And she loves doing that. And it's funny to think about how, how some things the kids listen to so well, but other things, they just seem to totally miss it. 
And you know what? That's just not for children. That's for us as well. I know wives are talking about your husbands, but I mean for all of us. That's for all of us as well as when we think about what God tells us. So many times we don't listen to what he says, and we miss out on it. And today's sermon is this, were you listening? Were you listening? And we're going to see an interaction with Jesus and his disciples as he's headed to uh, Jerusalem to be killed. This is going to be the third time that he says, listen, I'm, go I'm about to be killed. This is what's going to happen. And every time he tells them that he's going to die, the disciples have a very strange next conversation with him. It's very weird. And it makes you go, were they listening? Did they just not hear what Jesus said? Did they miss out on it? And I'm here to say that oftentimes we also miss out on what Jesus is telling us, what he's teaching us. And so today we're talking about, were you listening? And the three points we're going to look at today are this. Uh, the first one is, what did Jesus say? The second is, God does not like selfish prayers. And the third is, greatness is different around here. What did Jesus say? God does not like selfish prayers. And third, greatness is different around here. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 32. And we're going to begin... And we're going, to, we're going to go all the way to 45, but we'll first, uh, we'll pause at 34. Uh, beginning in, in verse 32 of Mark chapter 10. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See... We are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. We'll pause right there. Our first point for today is this, when we talk about were you listening, is what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? We, we talked about last week how uh, Mark describes Jesus is going on a journey. And this journey is his final trip to Jerusalem as he is prepared. He is ready to do what he was sent to do. He is ready to be crucified upon the cross. Last week what we saw is while he was on this journey, a, a rich young ruler came to him and said, I want to follow Jesus. How much does it cost? What do I have to do? And Jesus said, you need to give up everything and follow me. The rich young ruler responded by saying, that, that costs too much. That costs too much. I can't do that. And he walked away. And Jesus then began to talk about there of how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven as it's easy for materials possessions to make us think that we don't need God and to get in the way. And the disciples responded, well, then who can be saved? And he said, listen, it's impossible to save yourself. No one can be saved on their own, but it's through the power of God 
that someone can be saved. It's through the power of God that rich or poor or middle class, young or old, can have salvation. It's through God's amazing power, but it requires us to give up our life. And when we give up our life, what we receive in exchange far exceeds what we were holding on to and what we thought was important to begin with. When we give up our life, we receive true life. We receive eternal life. We receive life, how we were created to live in a relationship with God. And that is not something you can earn or buy or win. That is a free gift that comes from God, that comes from you surrendering your life to Christ, admitting you're a sinner who needs a Savior, saying that Savior is Jesus Christ, and asking Him to be your Lord and Savior. That's where salvation comes from, is it comes through Christ alone. And after he talks about that, they then continue on the road. They're they're heading up to Jerusalem, and you have Jesus who's leading the way. Last time they were in Jerusalem, you know, things got a little dicey. And they know going back to Jerusalem, this isn't going to be good for Jesus. So you have the 12 disciples. You also have others that are following Jesus as well. This is more than the 12. Uh, We learn from uh, another gospel uh, that James and John's mother was with them um, because she's going to approach Jesus. It doesn't say this in Mark's, but we learn that from another gospel. So there's a group of disciples going. And what you have is you have Jesus leading the way and everyone else kind of straggling behind. And what stands out to me on that is that Jesus understands what he's about to face. He understands that he's about to endure horrific pain. He's about to endure this cross. But yet he is leading the way because he is going exactly where he knows God is leading him to go. Think about that in your life. Has there been a time in your life where God has been leading you to do something? Maybe God's been putting it in your heart, hey, you need to share the gospel with your neighbor. Maybe God's been putting it in your heart, hey, you need to be start praying for your lost family members. Maybe God's been putting it in your heart that, hey, I'm wanting you to think about changing careers. Maybe God's put it in your heart, I want you to consider going back to school, or I want you to, to, to give to me and to trust that I will take care of you. And you begin to, when you, God puts that in your heart, do you step out in faith, or do you just kind of slump behind and go, God, are you sure? When God puts something in your heart and you know that God's leading you to do it, it may not make sense. Most likely it won't make sense. But you need to trust him, and you need to step out and do exactly what God is leading you to do. And Jesus gives us this example as he knows he's headed to the cross, and he is leading the way. He is going, and while he's leading the way and he's going, he he pulls his 12 disciples beside him. And now for the third time, for the whole 12, he gives this this, uh, prediction of what's going to happen to him. He's been telling them uh, that he is going to die, but now for the first time he's telling them where it's going to happen. It's going to happen in Jerusalem. And and this is the first time we see the Gentiles are brought into it as well, that he is going to be crucified by the Roman Empire. And he is having this conversation, he is sharing this pain that he's about to go to, what he's about to endure 
And he clearly says, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and then I'm going to rise again from the dead. First time Jesus shared that he was going to crucify, he shared it, and the response was Peter rebuking him. And Peter rebuked him and said, no, that would never happen. And Jesus' response says, well, get behind me, Satan. Do not keep me from doing what God has called me to do. Chapter 9 of Mark, we see the second time he explained to the disciples, the 12 disciples, that he was going to be crucified. And they responded. On the journey, they started arguing with each other. And they weren't arguing about why does Jesus have to be crucified. That's not what they were arguing about. They were arguing about who's greater amongst the 12 of us. So then chapter 9, arguing about who is the greatest. There, there is three times that Jesus tells all 12 disciples that he's going to be crucified, but he tells a smaller group of disciples when he's coming down the mountain of the transfiguration to hold that to yourself until I am resurrected. So a small group of the disciples heard it four times. These disciples, heard, 12, are now are about to hear it the third time that he is going to die. And you read this, and it's such a specific, specific prophecy of what's going to happen, you would think, surely they got it this time. The first two times he talked to the disciples, I mean, there were details, but they weren't as specific. But this one says, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise again. And as he shares this heartfelt moment, let's see how they respond. Verse 35 James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. The first question is this, our first point on were you listening is, what did Jesus say? And with James and John, you think, hey, James and John, what did Jesus just say? Were you listening? He just said, I'm about to go and die. I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to suffer the most horrific death. And they pull Jesus aside and they don't say, hey, I'm really sorry you're about to endure this pain. They don't give him a Hallmark card and say, my condolences on what you're about to endure. That's not what happens. Rather, they say, this is what we want you to do for us. We want you to allow us to sit at the right and the left of you in your kingdom. The disciples were missing it. They were missing out on what Jesus' purpose was. They were missing out on why he was there. They were missing out on what he just told them. And they're more concerned about lifting themselves up and getting in a position of power here on earth. The position of the right hand and the left hand 
Sitting at the right hand of the, royal, of the leader, that was the most prestigious place. Sitting at the left hand then is going to be kind of second in charge, uh, second most prestigious place. And so you have these brothers coming together and they're saying, hey, will you put us in the best seats in the house? We want to be in the best seats in your kingdom. Because James and John, even though Jesus just told them they're going to Jerusalem and he's going to die and he's going to suffer, they have in their mind he's going to Jerusalem to set up their kingdom. And as they're headed there, and he's about to set up this earthly kingdom, we don't just want to have a seat at the table. We want to have the best seat at the table. And what they're missing is they're missing what the Messiah came to do. You see throughout the book of Isaiah a group of songs uh, called the Suffering Servant. And you see these Suffering Servant songs that that describe the Messiah who was coming uh, to die who was coming to suffer, who was coming to hang and be lifted up on the cross to provide the way for us to be saved. We understand that Jesus shows his ultimate lordship not by lording over others, but rather by serving us and providing the way for us to be saved. And you hear that and you say, that is so foreign. That is totally foreign to the world's understanding. To imagine a king serving others, it doesn't even compute in our mind. And that's how different God's kingdom's values are than the values of the world. It's not about lifting ourselves up. It's about lifting Jesus up. And Jesus was lifted up by first becoming ultimate servant, dying, and then God the Father raised him to the highest position. And so the disciples, or James and John, they asked, we want to sit next to you. They they missed out on what what Jesus was teaching, what he was saying. And Jesus tells them, you don't know what you're asking. Then he asks, are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? What he's asking there is he says, are you able to participate? Are you able to endure the suffering I'm about to endure? Are you able to endure this pain and torture I'm about to go through. And it seems like, obviously we don't have their voice inflection as we read the scripture, but it seems like it's a kind of a casual, maybe even cocky answer of, oh yeah, we can handle that. No problem, we can handle that. And when Jesus says this, he says, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, At that point, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. But they later on, after the resurrection, will figure it out. Right there, he's prophesying that James and John are going to suffer persecution just like he's about to in Jerusalem. And the first of the 12 disciples that was martyred was James. And later on, John was exiled to the island of Patmos where God revealed to him the book of Revelation. And you see the suffering and the persecution that they do end up enduring once they really figure out what Jesus came to do. He didn't came to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to free us from a much greater enemy, the enemy of sin, so that we could enter into the heavenly kingdom to be in the kingdom with him. And we hear this, and it's easy for us to go, how do they miss it? 
It was so clearly taught that, that Jesus said this, but they just totally missed it. And before we bash the 12 disciples too much, we need to realize that we often do the same thing. We often do the same thing. And here are a few areas that we do these things on. First is this. Do you know Jesus told us to love our enemies? Do you know Jesus told us to pray for those who persecuted us? And that he just wasn't saying this but had his fingers crossed? He, he meant it. He meant it. He wanted us to love those who hate us. He wanted us to pray for those who want to kill us. How often do we do that? How often do we really believe it? When was the last time you were praying for the salvation of the ISIS fighter? When was the last time you were showing grace and mercy to that family member that just drives you crazy? When was the last time you prayed and loved that co-worker who is hard to love? And the Word says this, Jesus says, I want you to pray for those who persecute you. I want you to love your enemies. And you say, well, why would you do that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for us because we're the ones that sinned. And the reason why he had to go to the cross was to provide the way for us to have forgiveness. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us and provided the way for us to have salvation. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. That's what a follower of Jesus is. It's someone who does what he does. And Jesus prayed for those who persecuted him. Jesus wants those that persecuted him to follow him. And you see that in the apostle Paul. As he was crucifying, as he was uh, persecuting Christians, as he was having them stoned to death. And here you have one who is rebelling against God. But Jesus changed his life. And we too need to continue to pray for our enemies and to love others. Jesus tells us to do it, but how often do we do it? Here's another one that's easy for us not to do. Forgiveness. They kind of go hand in hand, but here's forgiveness. You mean I really should forgive that person? Did God forgive you? The answer is yes. So the answer is yes, you are to forgive that person as well. And the disciples asked, well, should we do it, I don't know, seven times? And, the, and Jesus said, not seven times, but seven times 70. And he didn't mean 490. He meant keep on forgiving, keep giving grace. Well, why should we do that? Because that's exactly what God does for me. And I think about when I continue to sin against God. And when I go to him in prayer, I am so grateful that God has never said, well, Michael, that's the 491th time you've committed that sin, so I'm not forgiving you. My grace is taken away. Could you imagine if God did that to us? Absolutely not. That wouldn't even enter our mind. So how do we then, as his followers, withhold forgiveness to others? But pastor, forgiving others is hard. Yes. Yes, you're right. I can't do it in my own strength. Yes, you're right again. But the Holy Spirit can give us the strength to forgive the unforgivable. He can do it. 
And Jesus demonstrated to us how it was done, and we too need to follow. So we're to love our enemies. We are to forgive. Here's my favorite one, most convicting one. Don't be anxious. Do you know the Bible teaches that? Don't be anxious in anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, seek the Lord. Bring it to God in prayer. And again, God means that. We have not changed anything with our worry. We have not changed anything with our anxiousness. But if we opened up the mic and had testimony time in this room, we could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about how God had worked in a mighty way in our life, and we understand that it was the power of God. And we understand that we have those stories, we have those testimonies, so why do we waste our time with anxiousness? Why do we waste our time with worry? It does not do anything except keep you up at night. Let's pray to the Lord. Give it to God in prayer and go to sleep and trust Him and spend time praying and trusting Him. So those are just a few loving enemies, forgiving, don't be anxious, but there's so many others throughout the Scripture of things that Jesus clearly teaches, but oftentimes we don't live our life in that way. We're like the disciples where Jesus says, do this, but we hear the complete opposite. Let us be faithful to hear, what does the Bible teach? Well, how does the Bible teach me how to live my life? Let me live my life in the way that lines up with his word. So our first point is this, what did Jesus actually say? Our second point is that God does not like selfish prayers. God does not like selfish prayers. You have James and John, they're going up to Jesus, and they're basically being very selfish. And they're saying, we have a request for you, Jesus. And our request is this, we want to be at the most prestigious places at the table. The most prestigious places at the table. And they're going to God, they're giving a request, they're going to Jesus, Jesus is God's son. When we go to God, we bring requests, right? So we can see this as a a prayer, as a request we're bringing to Jesus. We see in the book of James, in James chapter 4, James, this is Jesus' earthly brother uh, who's writing this. James says this, you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Right there we're seeing where this second point comes from, that God doesn't like selfish prayers. When we pray, we can pray in the wrong way. Do you understand that? That we can be praying, spending time talking to God, but if we're just focused on what we want and not what God wants, James says right here that you're praying with the wrong motives. And that God does not like those motives because he understands you're just trying to satisfy yourself. You're trying to satisfy your selfishness. And so when we pray, we need to also pray with the right motives. We need to have a prayer life that's motivated on what is truly what God wants. And so I don't want you to think, well, I can't pray about anything. No, that's not it at all. We need to continue to pray. And the greatest model of prayer, of course, is from Jesus. We know that. But the greatest model of prayer is from Jesus when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane. And you have Jesus, and he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's entering into this prayer time. 
And he's praying to God the Father, and this is what he says. He says, if you can take this cup, if you can keep me from having to endure the cross, if you can keep me from this torture that I'm about to endure, please do it. Here is Jesus pouring his heart out to God the Father, saying, this is my request before you. He's sharing with all of his might. But then here's the key. He says, but not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. As he says, Father, I don't want to endure this. I don't want to go through it. Please take it away from me. But if you will this for me, I will endure it. And there we see the model of prayer. As we go to the Lord, whatever's on our heart, we can bring it to God in prayer. But ultimately, we need to end it this way. Not my will, but yours. This is what's on my heart. But if this is not your will for me, then I don't want it. I'd rather have what your will is. And I am going to trust you and trust that your will is better than my desire. And so as we spend time in prayer, God is working. And I can't explain exactly how it works, but God works on trying to align our prayers up with his will. Align our prayers up with his will. And there's often times, though, that it's easy for us to pray a prayer that's just selfish and just focused on us. What could that look like? Dear Lord, let me win this lottery. I'll tithe from it. But let me win this lottery. And we think about the kingdom work I can do. It's easy for us to think about the selfishness that we can focus on. And we got to think about our motives. Think about our motives in our prayer. We can be praying for a very good thing, but still be praying with a selfish motive. And so when we go to the Lord, we need to make sure our motives are correct. Our motives are pure when we're praying to God. And what we see with the disciples, James and John, their motives were not correct. They wanted the best seats for themselves. And let's see what happens. Jesus tells them that that, that is not for me to decide. And then beginning in verse 41, when the 10 disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. And, and the reason why they're indignant is not because, man, why didn't James and John comfort Jesus during this upcoming crucifixion? That wasn't it at all. They're indignant because they got to Jesus first. They were wanting to ask the same thing. How do we know that? Well, because back in chapter 9, they were all arguing about who was greatest, and now James and John beat them to the punch about getting the better seat. And so you have the disciples are arguing with one another about Who's going to be able to sit in the best seat? And so Jesus is going to call them over and explain things to them. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Our third point as we're talking about where you're listening this morning is this. Greatness is different around here. Greatness is different around here. There's a book uh, that came out. There's a movie as well off the book uh, called Moneyball. And Moneyball talks about uh, the Oakland A's, the baseball team, and how they just don't have the money or the resources uh, that uh, like the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox have. So they would get some rising stars in their uh, on their team, and they'd have a decent season, but then those teams that could pay more money would take those star players away, and they just had to rebuild over and over again. And they just didn't have the resources to compete with these other big leagues. And so the manager, Billy Bean, uh, he decided we need to play this game differently. We need to do things differently around here than the others do. So instead of focusing on uh, who's the best slugger and who are these people, they began to look for who are the cheapest players that we can get who most often get on base. Because in order to score in baseball, you've got to be on base. So they began to look around for kind of uh, players that the scouts said, well, they're no good anymore, not as strong. And they began to look specifically at on-base percentage, and they built a team around around that and putting these players that others says aren't good anymore, but they are really good at getting on base. And so they did things completely different than how everyone else in the league was doing it, and it turned out to be extremely successful. They were able to spend a lot less money and be competing with those teams that have the big name players simply because their guys know how to get on base, and they were able to win many games. And so Billy Bean with the Oakland A's, basically the theme is, hey, we do things different around here. And what Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of God, greatness looks different. Greatness looks different. And he's telling the disciples, listen, your model of greatness is wrong. Your model of greatness is the Roman Empire. As you see a king who sits in a powerful place, who's, who's lording himself other over other people. And then you see on his right and his left, these prestigious people are there and they're, they're lording themselves over others. And that's all you want to do. You just want to change of names of who's in charge. and You want your name on top of the flow chart, the organizational chart up there. But that's not what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like. This is what he says. Don't follow Rome. Don't follow the United States. Don't follow our company models of what is great, but rather in the kingdom of God, we are to follow the example of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He did not come to be served by others, but he came to serve, and he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, you need to stop looking at Rome, and you need to start looking at Jesus. And as followers of Jesus Christ, when we think of greatness, we need to stop looking at the world, and we need to look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to serve. He provides the ultimate example of servant leadership. That is what Jesus came to do. And as his followers, we should be aiming to serve as well. Where has God called me to serve? Not where has God called me to rule where has God called me to serve, to help advance his kingdom, to follow the example of Jesus Christ? 
He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Ransom is this language of the price that was paid for a slave. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he paid the price of our sins. He paid the price for our sins. So that if anyone surrenders his or her life to Jesus Christ, our sins will be forgiven. We will enter into a relationship with him. But it started with his death before he was raised from the grave and began to sit at the right hand of God the Father. You look through the Bible and you see the biblical pattern of someone serving before they move into a more leadership position. You see it in Joseph who spent years in Potiphar's house and in prison before God rose him up to serve and to lead in the land of Egypt. You saw it in Moses who spent 40 years away before God brought Moses back to come and to serve and to lead. You saw it in King David as it took a long time, it took years before the kingdom became his to lead. And you see how God puts us in place of service to prepare us for greater areas of service. It's not about us. It's about God and about us allowing him to use us wherever we are to lead through serving to reach others with the good news that Jesus saves. Where are you listening? What did Jesus say? God does not like selfish prayers and greatness is different around here. This is a hard thing because this is one of those areas of life where only you know the answer and only I know the answer for my life. Because it's easy for us to disguise what we do on the outside, but are we doing it with the right motives? Are we living our life with the motives to serve the Lord, to honor Him, to bring Him glory? Or do we do what we do to bring ourselves glory and honor to ourselves? And so I want us, and this is something where we just have to keep checking our heart. Why am I praying this? Why am I saying this? Why am I doing this? Is it to honor the Lord or is it not? Let us be faithful to realize that God has called us to serve. And wherever he has called us to be faithful to serve him with our heart in a way that brings him glory and honor. When we read God's word, I pray that it transforms our life. But we have to listen and see what is God actually teaching me instead of trying to change God's word to something we'd rather hear. Where are you listening? When you go into your time of reading God's word, spend time in prayer and saying, God, give me eyes to see ears to hear, and convict me to live my life in a way that honors you. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you, God, that we can worship you this morning. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for your word and for the conviction of your word. And uh, Lord, I I thank you for the disciples and how they are just perfect uh, examples of us, of how it's so easy for us to hear you say one thing and yet just totally miss it. And Lord, I pray that you work in our hearts, and I do pray that you strengthen us in areas such as forgiveness and praying for enemies and not being anxious, Lord. I pray that you strengthen us in those areas to honor you and to worship you and to bring you glory. Be with us now, Father, and help us to serve you in however you call. To your son's name we pray.